the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
here, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all who were in it, that the sovereign Lord may witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All of this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the house of Israel. Micah, the first chapter. We need God to come down again. And we need him to melt the mountains, the mountains of indifference, the mountains of arrogance and pride, the mountains of selfishness, the mountains of human effort. We need him to come down from his dwelling place. We need the valleys to be split apart like wax before the fire, like water running down the slope. Because we have transgressed in America greatly against the God of heaven. We have denied him a place in the public square. We have kicked him out of our schools. Yea, we have even kicked him out of the church. And the church is now filled with the sound of worldly music the church has become an event not a people of God humble before him I was speaking to a church confronting that church with their sin and one of the one of the members went to the pastor after the meeting and said how long are you going to let this go on? He was deeply offended that anyone should suggest that the church had any sin. We're in trouble, and we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need God to come down in Pentecost power. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. The church in America is not making any progress. We're, we're regressing. We're drifting. No, we're running back toward the world, the flesh and the devil. Has to change. And so we have dedicated ourselves to pray for revival. Thank you for joining us today. We're glad you're with us. I'm Ray Greenlee. I'm Alexandra Greenlee. We're from the National Prayer Chapel. Psalm 85. I'll begin with verse 4. Restore us again, O God, our Savior. Put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you? 
will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promised peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. And so we are crying out for revival, and we urge you to get on your face and to pray, to seek the face of God. We need God to come down in this city of Washington. It is so incestuous and so filled with corruption and wickedness. Will you pray? Will you turn from all sin and repent and be made holy? Don't call yourself a saint and a sinner. Impossible. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. You can't be both at the same time. You cannot be a sinner saved by grace. You are either a sinner who is now saved and is a saint, or you're not saved. So again today, we're going to bring to you a portion of the story of revival in the Congo in the 1950s. We're bringing this story to you, not to entertain you, but to show you time after time Always, when God comes, he deals with sin first. That's what Jesus said in John 16. The Holy Spirit will come and he will convict of sin. Any declaration of Holy Spirit presence that does not deal with sin is not the Holy Spirit. Maybe a music spirit, maybe a fleshly spirit, maybe a romantic spirit, maybe a a sentimental spirit. But don't tell me the Holy Spirit comes as you sing praise and worship to him at an event and your life is filled with sin. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. He comes to bring guilt for our sin that we would repent and turn to him. And this story... Alexandra tells us that over and over and over, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So the book we're reading from is The Spirit of Revival, a first-hand account of the Congo Revival of the 1950s, compiled and edited by Norman Grubb. You can read it for free online at gospeltruth.net. We begin with the chapter, Like the Day of Pentecost. Ibambi, the headquarters station of the mission, was first opened by C.T. Studd in 1921 among the populous Mabudu tribe, the same tribe as that at the Wamba station, but 40 miles to the north. Here is the central Bible school, the printing press, and a medical center is now being started for the training of African nurses. It has always been the home of the field leader. In the gardens at the back, 
Mr. T. Studd's body was laid to rest to await the resurrection morning, and beside it, Mr. Jack Harrison's, who followed him as a field leader, and others who have laid down their lives for the gospel's sake. There are boys and girls' schools, and in the surrounding area a number of out-churches, several of which have large attendances. And one of these, Imbais, the only revival previously experienced on our field, took place some twenty years ago, the story of which has been told in the book by Eva Stewart Watt, Floods on Dry Ground. The mighty working of the Spirit began in Ibambi about the same time as at Wamba, and by the same means as at both Opienge and Wamba, the visit of an evangelist and his wife from Lubutu, where the Spirit had first broken forth among the people. One of the young missionaries, recently out from the homeland, wrote on July 15, 1953, We wanted a move of the Spirit here at Abambi. We wanted to see houseboys get right with God, schoolboys and girls come to the Lord, and workmen doing their work as unto the Lord. We had watched the roof of the new print shop slowly going on, and wondered when it would really be finished. How we longed to see these men doing their work with zeal and joy. So we were glad to welcome into our midst a couple straight from Lubutu, an evangelist and his wife who had been blessed down there. Last Sunday morning we went as usual to the seven o'clock prayer meeting. The evangelist's wife was filled with the Holy Spirit, shaking and praising the Lord. It was a shock to us all. We had sat so quiet and proper week by week. One of the schoolgirls confessed afterwards that she thought, Why have these people come from Lubutu to spoil our meeting? Praise the Lord, they did spoil our meeting. In the afternoon, the evangelist took it, speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the quiet confidence of those who are led by him. After he had spoken, he asked us to pray silently. Suddenly at the back, we heard a woman's voice crying louder and louder, Jesus. She went on for several minutes. Then another woman fell to the ground under the power of the Spirit. It was awe-inspiring. These were Christian women, and they had seen the Lord. No wonder they cried out and fell to the ground. The Lord filled them to overflowing with joy and the Holy Ghost. There was a quietness about the people as they came out of the meeting. Even the schoolgirls were subdued, and the men who had resisted the Lord for years went away in silence. That evening saw the beginning of a work among our people. Schoolgirls went to the lady missionary to confess sins which are almost unbelievable to us, and workmen began to confess to stealing and laziness. The spirit of conviction prevailed throughout the next day. House workers began to confess to stealing, and workmen continued to get right with God. The Holy Spirit was brooding over the station. On Monday, several said they had been unable to eat or sleep till they got right with God. Some had felt the power of the Spirit in them as though their hearts were burning, and some had shaken under his power. You should see the roof of the printing shop today. It is nearly finished. The field leader and his wife, who were away, returned a fortnight later to rejoice in what God had begun to do. Up till then, the Spirit had been working quietly over the whole compound, and largely outside of meetings, but that night at the meeting, after he had told them a little of what he saw on his visit to Opienge, the Holy Ghost came down in mighty power, he wrote. We have never seen anything like it before. 
Words fail to describe it, but we know something now of what it must have been like on the day of Pentecost. As one prayed, another began to pray, and another, and then the whole congregation together. Such a noise as they poured out their souls in prayer and praise to God. Men, women, boys, and girls, just drunk with the Spirit, many shaking beyond their control, others throwing themselves on the floor, some leaning, some standing. One man danced about, exhorting them to fear God and not hide sin, but his voice was soon drowned in the hubbub. We just stood there amazed, but were not afraid, as we knew the Spirit was working. We just walked about among them, seeking to help where we could, though it was impossible to make oneself heard. If this had not been of God, it would have been terrible, as they were beyond all human control. Although many threw themselves about, or rather were thrown down, yet none was hurt. All this went on for about an hour, and then as it quieted a bit, a hymn was sung, and the people dispersed. We got to bed late, but it was not to sleep much, as our hearts were so full of praise. As the blessing continued through successive days, he wrote again, Praise his blessed name for all the wonderful things he is doing in our midst these days. As we have been trusting the Lord for years to pour out his spirit upon us in revival, now we rejoice in the answer. We do not need to be afraid of any manifestations which are strange to us. Strange things have accompanied every true revival, but when the spirit is allowed full sway, he is able to take care of his own work. We need to be continually ready for any revelation he gives. As the enemy seeks to get in, we shall have discernment and be able to recognize his devices. We have certainly seen manifestations we never saw before, but we know the work is of the Spirit because of the outworking of it in a practical way in so many lives. Throughout it all, we are seeking to get the teaching home so that they will really seek Jesus and not just a blessing. We praise God that the teaching we have had on the word for years is bringing forth fruit. They know what to do, and the scriptures are being brought to their remembrance by the Spirit. There is no need to say, those who want to be saved, stay behind or stand up. The Holy Spirit does the work. We do not take charge. The Holy Spirit leads the meaning, and we don't know what is going to happen next. We are so full of joy that God has visited us at last. He has no set way of working, and it seems to come differently in each place. There is continual praise to Jesus and for his precious blood. This makes us sure that it is a work of the Holy Spirit we are seeing. I tremble to think what might have happened if we missionaries had been out of the Spirit and not been able to recognize his working. We should have been horrified and sought to put a stop to it at once. One thing in which we rejoice is that in all this movement our African brothers and sisters are coming to the fore. God is using some of them in a wonderful way. We missionaries are only in the background, and yet we are with them in all that God is doing. In Abambi, the blessing came in three distinct waves. First, as already related, was upon the station people and schools. The second, a few weeks later, came upon the Bible school. The students were out on trek when the fire fell at Ibambi, wrote the field leader. News travels quickly in Congo, and they heard about it as they were on their way back. The minds of some were made up before they arrived. I have no sin to confess, one had said, and another, Aren't I a Bible school student? There's nothing wrong with me. But others arrived in fear and trembling, for the Holy Spirit had already begun his work of convicting of sin. 
Can we ever forget that first fellowship meeting when the Bible school students were intermingled with the crowd, some thinking they wouldn't be noticed? The Holy Ghost singled them out. He is no respecter of persons. Here was a woman on her knees weeping her heart out. There, a man confessing his sins before God. While this was taking place, another woman had a vision. She saw a list of her sins written on paper. She looked down it and said, Yes, Lord, I am ready to forsake this and this. Then she came to the last, the lust of the flesh. There was a battle raging inside. I can't let that go, she said. She knew the awful confessions she would have to make. What would her husband say? What would the missionaries think? She struggled and fought, but Jesus won, and the list was cleansed away in the precious blood. Hallelujah! What a victory! What contrition! What tears! What joy! The bells in heaven must have been ringing out the wonderful news that Anna had put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and put on the new man, Christ Jesus, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The husband had a new wife. He forgave all, and his own heart leaped for joy. During the next few days, God dealt with each student in turn. One woman had hatred in her heart towards others. As she confessed this, the Holy Ghost threw her down. She went flat out on the cement floor. As she rose to her feet, joy flooded her soul. She walked up and down, praising the Lord and thanking Him for the work He had done in her heart. The next day, she had no recollection that she had fallen. One could multiply stories of restitutions which had to be made, incompatibility between husbands and wives, neglect of quiet times, etc. When all were through, we had a real baptism of joy. The whole station heard, and many came around to see what was happening. It was joy unspeakable and full of glory. We had a new Bible school. Head knowledge was now becoming heart experience. Songs of praise arose to the throne day and night. We seemed to be wrapped around with the very presence of the Lord. It seemed but a step to reach the glory. Prayer sessions were now alive with power, concern for loved ones, backsliders, pagans. What a volume of prayer ascended, mingled with tears, as they poured out their hearts to the Lord, some on their knees, others prostrate. Another was in such agony of soul, because he is the only one out of nineteen relations who was saved, that it took two strong men to hold him down. The power of the Holy Ghost was so strong upon him, the form just shook under him. We have never been in such prayer meetings before. Praying together seems to release power. As the Holy Ghost lays the burden of intercession upon them, so he prays through them. The third wave of blessing came when the local evangelists and outward church leaders were in for a conference, which was extended several days. Our meetings have been long, the field leader wrote. We have not had much time for meals and missed several hours of sleep every night, yet we are not extra tired, but are almost more full of joy than we can contain. On Sunday, our early morning prayer meeting lasted over two hours. We did not come out of the mid-morning meeting until 4 p.m., and then the last one went on until 11 p.m. The other days were similar. One who was visiting the field from the home end wrote, I cannot describe the singing, the joy, the music that came forth from all sections of the station. Some nights we were up until after 2 a.m. and awake shortly after 4 a.m. 
We wondered if the people sang all night through. Some nights they didn't sleep, for there was a spirit of prayer for those of the out-church leaders and wives who were not through. This continued on for five days, wave upon wave of joy, then the burden of prayer, until there were only two who had not yielded. It was a terrible day, after days and nights of prayer, when these two again refused the light. I had not witnessed weeping and heartbrokenness of men, big men before. They lay face down on the floor and wept. They stood with their arms about one another, the tears streaming unheeded down to the floor. The burden tore at you until you were sore and weary. I now know what real intercession is and the vast difference between prayer and intercession. You feel you could die unless the Lord answers. This continued on all day. We didn't eat. We didn't leave the church. Finally, the evangelist Donga stood and spoke with tears still flowing, saying that all had been done that could be done for these two. The Lord showed him that our joy should not be hindered, but to leave the two with him. As he spoke these words, we all felt a release. Then followed days that cannot be described. The joy was so intense, people hardly knew what to do with themselves. Their outlet was singing. The climax of the conference was a wonderful communion service led by the African pastors. There were bursts of praise and song such as you never heard, wrote the field leader. Each tribe sang in their own language in turn, dancing and flinging up their arms in ecstasy and praise. Anyone coming in from outside would have said we had gone quite mad. I can just imagine how dear old Bawana, C.T. Studd, would rejoice to see this and know he will be rejoicing in glory over it. We went on singing and praising for a long time. At the end of one meeting, a wonderful thing happened. Yet I suppose we should not say that because it, only, it is only what happened at Pentecost, and this is our Pentecost. I made a few announcements about the next meeting, but one of our two visitors from the home end, who did not know the African languages, heard all I said in English, yet I had spoken in Swahili. When I told them of this at the next meeting, a spirit-filled African woman got up and said that twice, when she had been praying with us in our house before some of the meetings, she had understood all that we prayed, even though we had prayed in English, a language of which she did not know a word. One missionary describes what God was doing those days as first, prostration with the awful conviction of sin, then praising God for the blood of Jesus, then praying, agonizing for souls, then preaching, getting out to witness and lead others to a saving knowledge of Jesus, and finally purging, as one or another rises up and points out folk whom he knows by the Spirit are not right with God, and pleads with them to get right before it is too late. One of the missionaries who had been on the field over 25 years gives us a glimpse of what lay behind this revival. To think that we've ever been privileged to live through these days of revival blessing, she writes, it is beyond anything we'd ever imagined. We've longed, prayed, cried, agonized for revival, and God has done the exceedingly abundantly. We're only in its beginning, for judgment begins where God says it does, at the house of God. He's been setting his house in order, purifying, cleansing, 
empowering by the blood and the Spirit. Now he will turn to the heathen, and who shall abide the day of his coming? Our people have had a revelation of the sinfulness of sin and the holiness of God. And they know now, not in their heads, but in their hearts, that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Before it was as it were the missionary's interpretation of the word. Now it's the Holy Spirit's convincing them of the truth. Scores and scores have been absolutely broken before the cross. The Holy Spirit has dug deep and brought to light the filth which has been buried away for years. There was no escaping. They had to call a spade a spade. A big and so-called little sin had to be classified together. In the light of the cross and a holy God, everything looked vile. Bad thoughts, criticisms against one's neighbor, pride in every form, lust in the thought life, worldliness in dress. But as the testimonies have been given, what joy, what peace, what radiance, what ecstasy as the Holy Spirit came in and took possession. As testimony after testimony poured forth, so there was a releasing more and more of the power of the Holy Spirit until we were wild with joy. I fully understand now why David danced before the ark. I, for one, have been caught right up into glory and thought I would burst with sheer joy. Away back in 1935, God gave me Isaiah 60 as a promise of revival. I have the date written at the side of this chapter. Others have probably got their promises, too. For many have been pouring out their hearts to God for revival. We were getting desperate. Since I returned from furlough, the pressure from the enemy has been terrific. We've never known anything like it. In January, during a quiet weekend in preparation for a coming ministry, my husband and I took the book Reese Howell's Intercessor with us. I finished the last chapters when sitting in a small mud house where I was quiet. My spirit was overwhelmed within me. As I thought of all that wonderful life had accomplished, it just created a great longing to know for myself something more of this life of intercession. I went to my husband and we talked together again of the need of revival, and then we got down to prayer. The burden was terrific. We told God we didn't mind where the revival began or through whom, but the revival we must have. We were desperate. Others we knew were desperate also. When news came from Lobatu that revival had started, we found it began that very weekend. No wonder we felt an urgency of prayer. Now we've just heard of the third wave of revival, and it's nearly overwhelmed us. I felt the tide of blessing rising up in my own soul, I wondered before the revival came here why God insisted on two occasions when I was praying alone in my bedroom 
that I should get flat on the floor before him. I told him that it would dirty my dress, for you know that our Congo floors, you know what they're like. He quietly insisted and won, and I didn't know that he was putting me into practice for this last week. But I can see it all now. The closer one approaches to God, the deeper the realization of his holiness and his standard. C.T. Studd used to say, How much sin can you do and get to heaven? If no sin can enter into heaven, then it's got to be dealt with beforehand. The one who has made the standard so high surely has made the provision through his beloved Son to reach it. Why should we be afraid to say that Jesus can cleanse from all sin and keep us cleansed? The blood which can cleanse from nine-tenths can surely cleanse the remaining one-tenth. John surely knew what he was writing in 1 John 3, 6. It's startling but true. So true that it's time we started to believe it and act upon it. The devil will always bring arguments to throw dust in our eyes and, and get home the thing which, we, which he knows is going to keep us anemic and powerless. Namely, you have a fallen nature. Therefore, as long as you're in the body, you will sin. The devil was always a liar and will always belittle what Jesus did for us on the cross. I see in my beloved Savior one who died to make me like himself. He was without sin. Therefore, if I will really let him do the work he wants to do in my heart and life, then he can set me free from the cursed thing which nailed him to the cross. I can't lower the standard just because I haven't reached it. Neither can I disbelieve that which is written so clearly in God's word. If by faith we let him live his life through us, he is the sinless one. Then he will produce the holiness we read of in God's word. This revival has taught me that we can assent to an awful lot with our minds and have reservations in our heart. God is far more interested in the latter. We get no more and climb no higher than our desires. Who am I to be writing about holiness? I need to get there myself. I am such a long way from being what I ought to be. However, like Paul, I press toward the goal. And I want to just stop here a minute. We were sitting at an outside table and a Muslim woman who is a friend of Alexandra's came by. She'd just gotten a Starbucks. She sat down at the table with us at our invitation. And she and Alexandra began to talk with each other. And quickly, this Muslim woman said, I know, none of us can be perfect. We just have to do the best we can do. It was Plato who said, We can never stop sinning. We, we must try as hard as we can 
<clears throat> but we're always going to be sinners. In every religion in the world, save one, they teach that you cannot walk without sin. Hinduism teaches that. Islam teaches that. They all teach this. And now, unfortunately, many Christians have been taught this same lie. How are we any different than Islam? If we both believe we cannot be perfect, we cannot walk without sin. They say, oh, I have to do more good deeds than bad deeds, and then my sin is taken care of. And Christians say, I don't even have to do that. All I have to do is believe that Jesus' grace covers me and I'm saved. I can't be perfect. So we find that Islam has more discipline and a stricter life than even the modern Christian. Because the modern Christian has bought into the devilish lie that the blood of Jesus Christ is not strong enough to wipe away your sin. And so we create theology based on our experience and to make ourselves more comfortable we lower the standard to match where we see ourselves we don't want to offend anyone <laughs> we don't want to tell them that they're sinners bound for hell because they say oh I love Jesus I was speaking with a woman who's living in an adulterous marriage. No, she's shacked up with a man. She's not divorced. I said to her, when will you get serious with him, with Jesus? And she replied, oh, I love him. I love him. It was Jesus who said, if you love me, keep my commandments she refuses to keep the commandments because frankly it's quite uncomfortable for her and so she lives with the lie that she can walk in sin and she can be saved Alexandra anything you want to share no you're going to let me do it <laughs> no, both of our hearts are broken over this issue. Yes. And we need revival. We need the Holy Spirit now. This woman continues, after writing the first pages of this letter, I went over to the usual Wednesday prayer meeting with the Bible school women. And one of the students spoke on the text, Be ye holy, for I am holy, together with Hebrews twelve fourteen. She said, God can make you holy because he says so. And it's up to you to keep holy by watching to see that nothing comes into the life to make it unholy. 
she used an illustration of a basket of peanuts, which is kept in reserve for planting. She said, if you're not watchful, the rats will get at it and make havoc, and then it's wasted. The rats are like sin. Keep them out. Be watchful. I'm sure thousands will be swept into the kingdom. Daily we hear of souls being saved. Many are under conviction of sin. Many fear. It will spread. Even the natives have got that assurance. Through Africa to the utmost parts. Well, that's the story of revival in the Congo in the 1950s. What's the story of revival in America? 2018. Well, the story of revival for us is just beginning as we have been washed in the blood of Jesus so that we no longer are walking in any wickedness or known sin against the Lord. We've been cleansed, body, soul, and spirit. And now we have focused entirely that small group of people called the National Prayer Chapel to come into the upper room and to begin to pray and to wait on the Holy Spirit. He is going to come. He's told us he will come. The Bible promises are very clear that he will come. Now, the first task that we will have is to deal faithfully and lovingly with each one of us, to be certain that there are no grudges held, no accusations made. We will begin with honest confession of any sin that is necessary to be confessed of, and all sin is necessary to be confessed. There will be no pretending, no pretense. We know that revival comes from God. We know that revival is God's action as he comes down to revive us once again. So it is God's work. But we are not without responsibility. We must do our part. And our part is to confess all known sin, to repent, turning away from it, making restitution as necessary, setting our hearts on the advancement of the kingdom of God in this wicked and dark place. And so we will begin. If you're interested, you're welcome to call me. I'll talk with you personally. This is not going to be the preaching of the word for turning a sinner from his sin. Everyone who comes must have already made that decision in their heart that they will walk clean before the Almighty God. And we're going to pray and wait on Jesus. We're going to sing hymns of praise and worship. 
a cappella. We're going to read the word. We're going to look at some revival stories. But most of all, we're going to pray. Just as they did in the upper room before Pentecost came. Alexandra? You can't be quiet. There's just a lot to think about. There is. And more than think, there's a lot to decide about. I wrote to one man this morning, if you want to be a part of this, you have to agree that you are willing to pay the price. And the price is, this will not be an event that you can choose to drift in and out of. It is the church in the throne room of God. So if you want to be a part, you're going to have to pay the price to be a part. Do you have any ideas what the price might be, Alexandra? Uh, that's just one way of thinking about it. We don't think of, you know, I don't think about, oh, I have to pay a price to spend time with my husband tonight. It's just something that I'm eager to do. So there has to be a shift in thinking where the church really becomes our family. And so it doesn't feel like a sacrifice because it's it's just what you really want to be doing anyway. The price I have reference to is giving up of pride, arrogance, self-dependence, any wickedness, any lust, any anger, holding on to judgments and accusations against a brother or a sister or against myself, but truly coming into fellowship with Jesus. And that's not hard. Mm-hmm. And it's not complicated. It's not. Talk about what you mean when you say it's not complicated. What do you mean that salvation isn't complicated? Yes. Well, Jesus said that we're to receive the kingdom as a little child. And when he said that, he was holding an infant. If you put together, you know, the different accounts of that story from the different gospels, he was holding an infant. So what can an infant do? Not very much. I mean, it's pretty dependent on its parents. Uh, but also, I mean, an infant is, we would say, is morally pure. You know, they haven't achieved the development to really make, like, right and wrong moral decisions. So they're innocent. You know, we talk a lot about the innocence of childhood. So it's simple in that sense of of just laying down everything and coming to God in that spirit of of humility and innocence. But we're apt, if we don't want to do that, we're apt to make a bunch of excuses and make it seem more complicated than it actually is. And we get into some people being self-condemning, thinking that they can't repent. I don't believe that. No, of course everyone can repent. 
God wouldn't command you to repent if you couldn't. As you listen today, do you need the Holy Spirit? Do you need to come into that place of holiness? Hmm. Brother Kevin, how much time do we have left? Let's play that song again that you played at the beginning. Should we give out the email address and the, the uh, website first? Yes, go ahead. Okay. You can listen to this message again and our past messages at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we would be happy to hear from you. We're praying that the Lord will use this broadcast to bring revival everywhere that it's heard here in Maryland, Virginia, and D.C., and also where it's heard through the Internet. Again, that webpage is nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thank you for joining us, and God bless you as you listen to the song. Sorrow too deep 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.